Well, good morning and uh, happy Easter to you. He is risen. He is risen indeed. My name is Ray Green and I am the lead pastor here at Graceland Baptist Church. And I'm so grateful that you came to celebrate Easter with us this morning. Maybe this is your first time you were invited or maybe you've been here for a long time. I just want you to know that even though you were invited, I believe there's a purpose why you are here today, my friend. And I believe that there's a great purpose for it. Now, as you see behind me, there's multiple doors. And you've been wondering, why are there five doors all over the front of this stage? That is the weirdest thing I've ever seen, especially on Easter. Well, I want to talk about these doors with you over the course uh, of my message this morning. Over in, to my right, to your left, there is a, a, a vault door, okay? And there it is right there. And, you know, vaults were designed... Uh, to keep things in or keep things out, correct? The visionary behind a vault door is that. And maybe some of you have a vault door in your home hidden somewhere uh, to, to guard your valuables or the things that are, maybe are heirlooms or, or whatever the case was. You know, the, the execution of Jesus Christ on the cross, they would lay him in a tomb. And the Romans were so thankful they laid him in a tomb. What they would do is, according to Matthew chapter 27, they would roll across over a one-ton stone across this tomb. They would seal it up. They would vault it. And then they would put chains on it, a special seal, as Matthew chapter 27 recalls it. And then they would put some of their best men on that tomb to make sure that nobody stole the body. Because here's why. The Romans wanted to seal that thing up so that the movement of Jesus was over. So the hopes, the dreams, the teachings, of Jesus gone forever. Now here this morning, I would say this, that back then in that culture and back in, and in today's culture, no one, almost no one with logical sense and understanding of historical ramifications would, would doubt that Jesus lived. Not many people in the world would, would actually doubt that. It's been documented. You can see it all over the news. You can see it all over uh, cable networks that Jesus lived. And many people wouldn't even doubt the fact that Jesus was a good man. Who would doubt that Jesus was a good man? You think about it. He, he loved the poor. He stood up for women when nobody stood up for women in that culture. And they had a very, very low rank on the totem pole when it came to society back then. He was an unbelievable man. And most people would say, you know what, he was a good man. But a lot of people would stop right there. And then they would say, you know what, that vault did its job. In fact, the body and the bones of Jesus still to this day remain in that tomb. That's what people would say. Maybe that's you. Uh, if, if that is you, then you would actually not be alone. C.S. Lewis, he would reason his trilemma, okay, and tri is Latin for three. He would say this, that either Jesus, he's a, he's a liar some people would say, yeah, Jesus is a liar. I believe that. Or he would say that Jesus is a lunatic. I mean, that is lunatic to say, you know what, that I'm God, to claim that I am God. Or he's a Lord. And stone cold logic would say that it's one of the three and you have to make a decision. But let me just share with you today that our church, Graceland Baptist Church, me as a personal uh, as a pastor and just a, with my family, we believe that Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave. We believe that it was an illusion. We believe that it wasn't a myth, that he literally straight up, the stone was rolled away. He rolled that rock away and he's still been rolling rocks away in people's lives to this day. We believe that he is alive and he's a well. And so when we say that Jesus is risen, we reply back, he is risen indeed. And we believe this because, number one, because 
Scripture tells us it. We actually will talk about that in a little bit. We also believe this because of a Roman historian who we get a lot of our Roman history from that no one would doubt him. He actually lived in the day of Jesus and he testifies of the resurrection of Jesus. It's a, his name is Josephus and he says, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man. He was the Christ and when Pilate had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him for he appeared to them alive again the third day. And then we also believe that Jesus rose from the, de- the dead because of eyewitness account. Many of the disciples would witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, they would end up dying for this resurrection. They, they didn't make a penny off of this thing. They lost everything. But they would go to their graves believing w- with what they saw. You know, one of the, the men that saw Jesus' resurrection was his brother James. Now, wouldn't that have been a tough deal in life to be the brother of Jesus? But it was from James that we believe that the church believes in the resurrection to this day. In the book of Acts, it talks about how James was a major contributor to the church believing in the resurrection. I mean, after all, James had seen Jesus go through adolescence. I mean, after all, Jesus or James had seen Jesus get his driver's license, right? I mean, what would convince you? <laughs> that your brother was the son of God, right? Other than the fact that he was literally raised from the very dead. But many people would say, you know what? That those first century Christians, they made it all up. And here's why. They made it all up so that this faith, it would go on past their generation. And if this is the case, and if that Jesus was a lunatic or he's a liar, well, then they did a really good job. And you got to hand it to him because you're sitting here today. Here's another reason why. What year is it? On the, in the balcony and on the floor, what year is it? Yeah, 2017. Is the earth uh, older than 2017 years? Yes, it is. We know that to be true today. And, and you know what? It's not just America that we, we actually count our years this way. That You know that Australia and India and Russia, we all go together. Okay, it's the year one, it's the year two, it's the year three, it's the year four. We've been counting all together and, and nobody doubts that we count it this way. And why don't we count it this way? 2017 and the year of our... All because of a sham, right? In fact, that Jesus, before him, they start counting backwards as if to say he's the center point of all of history. You got to be crazy to think that he didn't rise from the dead. If it's been all a sham for all these thousands of years, we've been counting history, folks, on this man who's still in a grave. It's crazy if we believe that. The Apostle Paul, he was one of the people that would see this resurrected Jesus. And he would go on to plant these churches. And he'd go on to state the very power of the resurrection. But with his logic in mind about these people dismissing that, he would begin to talk to these people that believed that Jesus was still in a vaulted tomb. People would say, but but Paul, it was decades after the resurrection. How could Paul remember? How could Paul remember Jesus? I mean, it had been 20 years when he wrote 1 Corinthians. It had been 30 years when he wrote Ephesians after the resurrection. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you in this place, by raise of hands, know the song, Hey Jude? Yeah. Who wrote Hey Jude? You could sing it, couldn't you? Yes, you could. We're not going to do it this morning, okay? You know how many decades has been since the Beatles wrote Hey Jude? Five, five decades, and you can sing it. And do you think that if you can remember a song that is five decades old, do you think that a man can remember a man who walked out 
of a sealed tomb. Paul's speaking to a group of people who still believe that Jesus is in a vaulted tomb. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is futile and your faith is empty. And then he continues in verse 18. He says, And those also who have fallen asleep are in Christ are lost. Meaning, we don't know where they are. Meaning, we don't know where they went. And then he continues in verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than any other man. Basically to say this, Paul says, Look, all the money you gave to the poor, all the good things that you did, all the ways that you were trying to be like Jesus, what a waste. All the parties that you turned down, all you the sororities and fraternities that you, I'm not going to go do that. And I'm like, what a waste. You're to be pitied because you know what? It was all a sham. But then Paul continues in verse 20. He says, but, <laughs> but, and, and in that language, it, he basically said, are you kidding me? He goes on to say that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And if you doubt it, then you need to go talk to Thomas or you need to talk to other, the other 500 plus witnesses that literally saw Jesus with their very own eyes. And that was incomprehensible ramifications for their generation and our generation today. And because that vault didn't do its job and Jesus walked out, the ramifications and the circumstances in your life can be greatly altered as I'm going to kind of unpack today. Paul would go on to remind every single church of this unbelievable fact. He would write to the Ephesian church that he would plant in the, in the book of Ephesians. He writes this letter, a sermon, if you will, and he shares this unbelievable news in chapter 1 of verse 18 and 19. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Can you all say that with me? His power toward us who believe. Yeah, that word power he uses, actually, it's the word dynamite. It's explosive. It's a rock that was moved and a man that got up and literally beat death on his own. This is incomprehensible power that he said that is extended to you and I. You know, it's one thing for you to see a honey jar and to call it honey because it says honey on the label. But it's another thing for you to put that in your tea or put that in your coffee or put that on your Cheerios, whatever it is, and to taste the honey. And in the same very vein, Paul says, it's one thing for you to know about it, and it's another thing for you to experience this power that is extended towards every single person who would call on the name of the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he meets us in every single challenge that we have in our day-to-day -day life, if you understand this, if you believe in this. And he allows you to walk through doors in your life that you could never open on your own. Here's another door I want to look at this morning, and it's a mirror door. And, and this mirror door, I, I can look in the mirror, and I can see my external reflection, okay? I, I can see my external identity. But there's more than just our external identity. There's our financial identity, our security identity, and we have to guard this nowadays. I learned this not too long ago. Uh, I used a, our bank card to buy gas at a gas station in Louisville. And while I was there getting gas, someone had put one of those fake scanners on top of the gas station. Yeah, the ones you hear about. Well, I was a victim of that. And I got a call from a bank a few uh, days later, and they said, Mr. Green, were you in California at a Radio Shack, and you bought $500 worth of goods? 
And I said, well, first of all, I didn't even know Radio Shacks were in existence <laughs> anymore. Did you? Did you? And I said, second of all, I live in Indiana. I was not in California anytime uh, soon. And they got it rectified. But, but I would even propose to you this morning, there's a far greater identity threat to you today. I have a really good friend. And he spent his entire childhood hearing basically one phrase from his father. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And unfortunately, my friend who is athletic and smart and brilliant has become one of the, the best businessmen I know. He listened to that his whole life and he started believing it. And he has been living in that pattern and that identity hack his entire life. But then one day he heard about this Jesus. And he read the words from Paul that would actually speak right to our identity. Paul would say to that same Ephesian church in chapter 1, verse 4, he says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Adoption as sons. Now, this culture would have known exactly what they were talking about. Here's why. In Ephesus, there was this archway, and it was called an agora. And the agora led to this big marketplace, okay? You went under the agora, and there was this huge marketplace. And in that marketplace was like an outdoor mall. You could purchase things. You could sell things. You could hang out. Teenagers went there just to walk around the mall. I mean, they did their deal, okay? But in that marketplace, you would see children, young children, running around with without parents. And everyone who entered the, uh, through the Agora knew exactly what was happening. And those children were orphans. They had been abandoned. They had a special need. They had some kind of thing that, they, that their parents didn't want them anymore, whatever the case was. And so these children were just left on their own and many of them would steal just to make ends meet. And Paul uses this language because they knew exactly what he's talking about. He says, look, you don't have to be orphans of the Agora, if you will, anymore. That you, my friend, has been offered adoption by Almighty God. That you're a son. That you're a daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That God says to each and every one of us with his power towards us that you're my child that you have worth, that you have value. And then Paul would go on later on to share about how that you've been marked with the seal. Back then they would stamp uh, with hot wax envelopes to mark the identity of the person writing to them. And in the same way, Paul says, the resurrection of Jesus and the power toward you extended has literally marked your identity and you're loved more than you ever thought you would ever be loved. And you can be adopted as the, king of, as the son or daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords. However, we have been trained to believe that we are less than this. We have been trained to believe that our identity isn't the same. You know, maybe today you're, you're, you're dating somebody, but maybe you have doubts or maybe today you find yourself very lonely. And God comes and whispers into your ear right now. He says, I love you. And your worth is not found in anything else. I love you enough. Just right where you are, I'm with you. Or maybe today in this place, you walk in with a word in the back of your mind that you've heard your entire life. When you look at yourself in the mirror, when you go to bed at night, it reflects itself back. And it's the word worthless. And you just can't get over it. And everything you do is to get over that thought that you constantly can't get away from, that you feel worthless. 
Or maybe you stare at yourself in the mirror and you're not the right shape. You're not the right size. You don't make the right amount of money. You don't drive the, the right kind of car. And you just feel that way. Or maybe today you base all of your worth and all your value on your merit. I'll just be honest with you. That's how I feel sometimes. You know, a little bit about a pastor's life, okay? On Easter, there's kind of a joke about pastor, with, with us pastors. We always joke that on, you know, on Easter, on Monday, we could not feel any better, okay? We feel like we're the best pastor in the world. But then in the middle of the summer when everyone's on vacation, you want to take a permanent vacation, <laughs> right? Because there's not as many people here. There are not as many people attending. And there was this one particular day in the middle of the summer, and I find myself sitting there going, golly, I, I am, ah, oh. I was basing all of my worth on my merit, and God spoke into my life, and he said, Ray, your worth is based upon the fact that I love you, and I care for you, and I wired you the way I wired you. You have unbelievable worth and value. And I want to ask you today, what defines you? Whose voice are you listening to? Would you listen to the, the voice of your heavenly father right now? Because you know what? He offers an adoption to you as his son, as his daughter, because of the power that is extended to you right now in this place. And I want to ask you this question to you. What if today you could get up on this stage, you could open this door, and you could walk. Maybe you could walk. You could walk <laughs> through this door. What if you could walk through that door with faith and humility, asking the power of God to give you a new sense of identity in your life? And it's not based on your marriage. It's not based upon your, your relationship status. It's not based upon the car you drive, but it's based upon what Almighty God says about you. What if you could get up on the stage and walk through that door? And maybe some of you doubters would say, well, it's just a door. Nothing's going to happen. My friends, what if you could get out of your seat and just a little bit, walk up on the stage and walk through that door believing in what God says about you? My friend, greater things have happened on this day. There's another door that I want to draw your attention to, and it's all the way across the stage. They, I'm putting, getting in my steps today. This is a church door. And this church door is an illustration for what happened in Charleston, South Carolina in 2015. In 2015, a horrific event happened. What happened was, is that a young man walked into an African-American tiny church on a Wednesday night Bible study. He sat there for a little bit, and then he would stand up and open fire and kill nine different people. It was a horrific event. Uh, many of you remember reading it on the news and the national media uh, made it a big deal. But what you didn't hear from the media was what happened afterwards. And here's what happened afterwards. That those victims of the, of, uh, the, the families of the victims who, who were murdered stood in front of the murderer and they had these words to say. One would say this, you took something precious from me, but I forgive you. Another one said, hate won't win. Another one said, you know, that was my sister. And my sister taught us that we were a family that love built. We forgive you. I mean, when you hear words and phrases like hate won't win and I forgive you when you just murdered my relative, I mean, it's beyond belief, isn't it? That this kind of love and forgiveness actually exists in the world. And it was based upon the Jesus that they follow and the power that walked out of a, of a vaulted grave. That same power, dynamite power, is extended to you with a greater ability to love and forgive even your greatest of enemies. 
It's the same exact forgiveness and love that you've not been able to show to someone in your life. Someone who has abused you. Someone who has mistreated you. Someone who is maybe your spouse or a family member or a friend or a neighbor. Someone who is sitting next to you right now. But what if the power of God that is moving toward us today could give you a greater ability to love and forgive in an unbelievable fashion? What if you could get up out of your seat in just a little bit, walk up on this stage, and literally decide that I'm going to walk through this door? To walk through this door as a way to say by Almighty God, as a prayer, God, would you give me the ability to love? Would you give me the ability to forgive? Would you give me this ability today? See, friends, here's the deal. We believe at Graceland that lives can be transformed through the power of Jesus Christ. And we want this for all people. And we believe that transformation happens. In fact, we're starting a new preaching series next week called Beyond Me, a life beyond what we could live ourselves. And, and you know, I, I'm excited about it because we're going to be giving away a booklet. And uh, the booklet is called Beyond Me. It's a Next Steps booklet. And we want to give, we want to put this in your hands as you leave. So make sure as you walk out those doors, you get this booklet. And what it is, it's going to give you just something to read each day until uh, the weekend. And it'll get you ready for what we're going to talk about next Sunday. And I'd love for you to be my guest that this next Sunday. But we're going to talk about that because we believe that lives can be transformed. We believe the inner cities can be transformed and we believe the suburbs can be transformed just like what happened in Charleston. You know what happened in Charleston, South Carolina? If you were to go into that city today, that same African-American church is now no longer just an African-American church that white people go there. And there's racial reconciliation like they've never seen it. There's a tidal wave of forgiveness in that city. And, and barriers of racial unforgiveness have been buried. And you know that they still meet in that one small Bible study room on Wednesday nights and black people gather and white people gather all under the name of Jesus Christ because they've walked through that door asking God for the ability to give them love. What if you today could walk up on this stage and ask for this same type of love? And I know some of you doubters would say, it's just a door. But I would say, what if you could walk up here with humility and faith asking God to give you the ability to love like you've never loved before? I want to show you another door here this morning. And it's all the way over here to your right. And it's a prison door. And this prison door, it represents enslavement. It represents being stuck in our life. It reminds me of when I went to uh, prison a few years ago. Okay, willingly. All right. I went to prison willingly. I just, just t tidbit there. And I, and I went because I knew the warden and he gave me a tour. And then we went and, and sat and spent time with some people who literally would spend the rest of their lives behind bars. They would never see freedom the rest of their life. They were beyond um, any kind of, um, what's the word? What is it? I can't hear you. Yeah, parole. That's the word. Thank you for whoever said it in there. I appreciate it. All right. I've preached a lot of services this weekend. So they were beyond parole. And so because they were beyond parole, really they could only see people who came to them. And I just thought about how they would never really see freedom again. And then I thought about that same uh, church in Ephesus and, and what they had and what they were learning in that same marketplace that they would experience under the Agora. You know, because under, if you went under the Agora, you could actually purchase a slave. 
a young or old slave, a, a cheap slave or an expensive slave, unfortunately. And there was a word that Paul uses that they all knew in that town, and it's the word redemption. It's an economic word, and it means to buy back. He says it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. He says, in him we have redemption. You see, with the money, the slaves were bought or were set free, if the case was. But with the sacrifice of Jesus, that we, my friends, have been bought back from slavery of sin. And the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ moves toward us so that we can be free of all enslavements. That we don't have to be stuck any longer in our very life. And it made me think a little bit. You know, those people in prison, they may not be experiencing the freedom that you and I are today, but you know what? We may be enslaved in a different way today. We may be stuck in a whole different light today. It made me think of um, a hunting story with my dad. There's always good hunting stories, isn't there? (laughs) I was young and uh, we were hunting in Elk County, Pennsylvania. Uh, His side of the family has a very primitive hunting cabin. And it had snowed two feet the night before. We were going to cut our hunting day halfway short. And he, uh, we're driving back, and there's a couple feet of snow on the sides of the road. And this hunting cabin is primitive. It has one small driveway to get in and out of. In fact, that you either had to back into it or, or drive into it and back out. But you couldn't do a turnaround because it was such a small little primitive thing, and the driveway was very long. And one side of the driveway was a hill that went straight up, and the other side of the driveway was a hill that went straight down, basically. So it was pretty tedious. And so he says, you know what, I'm going to back in, and then we're just going to take a rest. So he began begins to back in, but the driveway had now become real icy, and the brand new SUV that he had borrowed, okay, that's a very important tip, begin to slide off the driveway and begins to slide down the literal cliff to the point where the vehicle, I mean, it's probably about like this. So much so that I'm against the window on the passenger side and he grabs me and he says, we are going to get out of this car because it's going to flip. And he grabs me, pulls me out and we just stand there and and wait for it just to topple over. Thankfully, it just kind of sat there and slowly but surely all those well-meaning hunters started coming by. And given their tidbits of how they needed, they thought that they could fix it. Hey, I think you need to do this. And I, I think you need to do that. And I look over at my dad and he's just like, oh, you know, he can't do anything. And he's frozen in fear. So finally, after, I don't know, 30 minutes, this well-meaning guy comes by with a big dually truck. And he gets out of the big truck. Well, what do we got here? You know, I'm not lying. That's exactly what he says. And he says, here's my idea. He says, we're not going to call a tow truck, even though one was on its way. He said, we're going to just get some chains in the back of my truck, and I'm going to strap it to this one bumper. I'm going to strap a chain to this bumper, and I'm going to pull it to safety. And I looked at my dad, and he's still in disbelief. And so the guy just started going to work. He started chaining up the bumper of that SUV, and the the, the, the chain is pulled taut and all of a sudden that vehicle begins to be pulled back up the hill but then it starts to lose balance and I'm not kidding you not an exaggeration the vehicle goes up on two wheels almost straight up like this and I thought this is just like the movies right before my and I look over at my dad he says why does that wall right there and then I look back and the guy just guns it and the vehicle pulls off the hill and slams down on all four tires and I look back at my dad and he is aged 500 years (laughs) and everyone's clapping and and all the hunters disperse and the guy gets his chain and puts it back in I said dad we're gonna go out hunting he goes no we're going home right now (laughs) 
You know, and I tell you that story because all of us may be in a place where we're stuck and we need something stronger to pull us out of the enslavement that we're in. You know, maybe today you're stuck and you've been enslaved by the corporate ladder and climbing it. Maybe you've been enslaved to money. Maybe you've been enslaved to an addictive substance. Maybe you've been enslaved to fear or worry or anxiety. Or maybe you've been enslaved to something on a computer screen. My friend, we can't unchain ourselves. That's the thing. If you could have, you would have already done it. But you need something stronger, like the power of Jesus Christ who walked out of a grave, whose power extends toward you today. And let me tell you, friend, I've been there. I've been in that place where I've been behind bars per se. And I felt enslaved. And the power that is extended toward me allowed me to walk out of that grave in freedom. And I want to ask you today, is that you? And if that's you, what would it look like for you in just a little bit to walk out of your seat and walk through that door asking God to send you power in your life and for you to not be stuck any longer? You know, last night at the five o'clock service, one guy was so jazzed up about the power of God moving toward him, he went over there and he literally broke the door off of that over there. I'm not lying to you. We put it back on. It's safe. Don't worry about it. But he was so excited. And you know what he told me afterwards? He said, you know what, Ray? The reason that happened, I was so juiced up. I knew that the enemy was going to fight against me every step I took. But I knew without a shadow of a doubt that the power of God is stronger and greater. But there's one other door that I want to talk about this morning before I close, and it's this door. It's my favorite door. This door represents the claims of Jesus Christ, and they're very politically incorrect, by the way. Jesus would claim that he was God. No other religious leader would claim that he was God. Even even, um, Muhammad himself said, surely I am no more than a human apostle. But Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 30, he said, the Father and I are one. Jesus would also say to claim and that he would claim he, that he would forgive sins. You know that all the other religions in the world, the leaders would say, you know what, I know a way to be forgiven, but I, am, I cannot forgive sin. And Jesus said, I forgive sin. In Mark chapter 2, verse 5, he said, you know what, your sins are forgiven. Jesus would also claim that he would conquer death. And you know what, he backed that up. In fact, Paul would speak to those same people in um, Ephesus in verse 20 of chapter 1 and say, God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. But there's one more claim that Jesus makes. And it's what may, I think the best claim of all when he says, I am the door. In John chapter 10, uh, 10, verse 7, he says, I am the door. I am the symbolic way to God. I am the only way that you and I can know our Savior personally through him, through Jesus Christ, our mediator. He offers this, that there's an exclusive way, and that exclusive way is through Jesus now look, I, I wanted to share with you real quickly. I don't want to be morbid, or I don't want to uh, uh, drop kind of a, a moment of sadness on this, on this awesome gathering, but I just want to speak to you real quickly. A few days ago, I was sitting next to a man who was going to breathe his last few breaths on this earth. And before he did so, I asked him this question. I said, how are you doing? And he looked at me with peace and comfort, in all the joy in his heart. 
And he said, Ray, I can't wait to close my eyes and see my Jesus. And to see the same Jesus that walked out of that tomb, the same power that is offered toward us today in salvation. He could not wait. And I want to ask you this question. Would you consider that one day you're going to be facing that moment, and if someone were to ask you right now, how do you think you'll face death? Will you face it with peace? Will you face it with security? Will you face it knowing exactly where you're going to go? Because Jesus was very clear. He said, look, there's going to be one or two, one or two places of destination. There's going to be a heaven and there's going to be hell. And if you want to go to heaven, it's through me. He would actually have this exact same conversation with a guy by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, if I could give you a real quick bio, this guy was extremely good. He's the best religious person this room has ever seen. He was a pastor. He was the guy that did all the talking. He was the guy that visited all the poor. And Jesus tells him in John chapter 3, verse 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, here's a surprise for you today. There's one thing that I believe is truth in every single major world religion, and it's one strand of kernel of truth, and that's this, that every single world religion believes that mankind is selfish. And I believe that, and we're infected by that. Eastern religion would say, meditate your way to God. Islam and Judaism would say, check the boxes, do this, keep a list. But Nicodemus would realize that it was sin that was infecting him. And that sin was a bar of perfection. How, how many of you ever had a pass or fail class growing up by a show of hands? How many of you loved those classes? Hey, I love those classes. And you know why? Because I could just do the bare minimum and pass. Does anyone else love those? Okay, look, D equals diploma for this guy, all right? So that's just the way I, that's the way I did it for a long time. But see, it's not that same way with God. That it's not a pass-fail thing that you have to keep 100% of his rules and his law in order to know God. And so God instituted a rescue plan. And his rescue plan was basically shared to Nicodemus. And just a few verses later in verse 16 of chapter 3, when he said, My favorite verse in all the Bible, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that who believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. When all the other religions in the world say, you got to work for it. Jesus says, I am the door and I'm going to give you an offering of grace. And here's the good news for you and me. Guys like Nicodemus, guys like me, ladies, gentlemen, just like yourself, you don't have to have a, a great past. You don't have to have the right skin color. You don't have to be an insider or an outsider. The only thing you have to do to know Jesus Christ and walk through the door is for you to receive the free gift of God into your life in this very moment. We sat down and we actually asked two of our friends who have actually stepped through this same door, the symbolic door named Jesus Christ, and they share part of their journey. Why don't you watch this? When, when I was growing up, when I was a kid, uh, Easter to us was uh, Easter baskets, uh, a gift, um, maybe going to grandma's for lunch. And then as I got a little bit older, uh, Easter meant that I could go fishing with my dad. But now, this time of year, this, this Holy Week, this leading up to Easter reminds me of, of a time when I was 24 years old and a good friend of mine called me and he said, uh, hey Brian, do you have plans for Easter? 
and I was hoping he wanted to go fishing or go play basketball or and I said no I don't have any plans and um, he said well would you come to church with me we moved to this area about uh, four years ago um, when we came to this area um, we were very very nervous uh, we moved here with my husband's job and I was very nervous, very scared, wasn't sure, you know, feeling all those feelings. Um, we actually moved in to our neighborhood and met our neighbors, chatted a little bit, and they asked us, why don't you come to Graceland? I hadn't been to church in probably 15 years, and he said, now, when you get there, if you're there early, the doors will be shut because we're having uh, Sunday school, but when the doors open, you can come in. And so when I pulled up there in the church parking lot and, and um, it was back before you could sit in your car and check out your, your Facebook and, and your phone. So I brought that Bible with me, only one I had. So I reached over and I thought, well, I'm sitting here and I'm, I might as well read this. We had been going to a previous church here for a year and never felt um, very connected. So we came to Graceland and we loved our small group. And that whole time we were just really enjoying coming to Graceland because of our small group. What I started reading was amazing to me. It was, the heading was the Last Supper. And then it was the, the uh, crucifixion. And then it was the resurrection. And I read, had time to read through that. And for the first time in my life, at 24 years old, I fully were, was understanding what Jesus did for me. Through having these people in our life, through Graceland, um, really helped us to um, continue to grow in my relationship with Him. So I was excited about what I'd read and I put my thumb in the, in the book or my finger in the, in the Bible and I held it and I walked into church and my, my buddy was so excited that I was there. He was introducing me to his friends, his pastor, and we, he, I pulled him over to the side and I said, Hey, Alan, what, look what I was reading out in my car and I opened it up and I showed him the scripture I was reading and I said, isn't this what we're going to talk about today? He said, oh, we're going to talk about the resurrection for sure today. It's Easter. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. How many places is this in the Bible? And he said, oh, only one, which now I know he was kind of fibbing to me a little bit. But, but he, said, he said this, he said, Brian, I think God is trying to tell you something today. We probably wouldn't have came because we, um, we didn't know where anything in this area. We didn't know the area. This is where we've built all the relationships. I couldn't imagine doing life now without all these people um, in our lives to strengthen my faith alone in Christ. And so from, from that experience, what I can tell you is, is that He invited me. And I walked through that door for the first time as an adult, understanding what Jesus had, has done for me and it changed my life. Yeah. So for those of you in the balcony and those of you here on the floor, just give me your attention for just a few more minutes. I wanna speak into your heart for just a second and this is what I wanna to say to you. You know, in review, I, we talked about how that vault could not hold Jesus back. And because that vault could not hold Jesus back, that same power, dynamite power, is extended towards each and every single one of us. And it's extended to us in every single day that we can, that we can have on this earth. It's extended to us in our identity over by this mirror door. 
that our identity can truly be founded upon our worth and our value in God, not on what someone tells us, not on what society tells us, but based upon what our creator God tells us. His power towards us also can tell us and and give us this, that we can have forgiveness and love beyond our even ability through this church door. His love towards us also tells us that we can break free from the very chains, from the very shackles, and from the very stuckness that we go through through that prison door. But most importantly, that Jesus Christ in his power gives us a way to literally see the face of God and to know him personally. And what it requires is walking through the door through him. And what I want to offer you today is, before you leave, before you walk out those back doors, I want to give you the opportunity in just a moment for you to get out out of your seat and for you to walk down one of these aisles and for you to walk through one of these doors. Let me tell you, first of all, that you're not alone. Hundreds of people have walked through these doors already. I want to ask you right now, is there a place, is there a moment that God is speaking into your life right now and he's saying, you know what? It's time for you to walk through this door because I have something new for you. That his power is being extended to you right now in this place. And maybe the doubters in this place would say, you know what? It's just a, it's just a door, Ray. But I would say, what if you could get out of your seat and before you would leave through those back doors up in the balcony behind you or down here on the floor, that you'd get out of your seat, that you'd walk down and you'd walk through one of these doors as a way to say before Almighty God, God, in this moment, I'm trusting in your power toward me because, friends, greater things have happened on this day than just that. He can do anything. He can do anything in your life. I promise you that. Yes, we should clap for that. You know, and if today you're in this place here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you know, there was a place in time when I didn't believe Jesus, I was actually an atheist. I was actually completely, could not even, I couldn't even get close to that. But there was a moment in my life, a marker, where there was a moment when I got out of my seat and I came and I said, you know what, today is the day that I'm going to admit that I need a Savior and I'm going to place my trust in Jesus. And if that is you today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat up in the balcony or down on the floor and I'm going to ask you to take a step forward and walk through right through this red door right here as a way to say, Lord, I admit that you are the only way for me to be saved. And as you walk through that door, I truly believe in my heart of hearts that your heart decision, God will see that and God will meet you right there. That's what I'm going to ask this morning. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to end an Easter service like maybe you've never experienced before. I'm going to end with prayer. And the worship team is going to be softly to start to sing. And as they begin to sing, you are free to go. But before we do that, I just want to say this. You may walk in with your family wearing your nicest pastels of the year, okay? But before you leave, why don't you make a decision to be different as you walk out? Today, it's, what if today you could leave going, you know what, I came with my family, I came all dressed up, but I left a different person. It was the Easter that marked a new day for me. If that's you today, if that's you today, would you get out of your seat before leaving those doors? Would you walk down 
one of these aisles. Would you walk through one of these doors? And here's the deal. No one's going to jump you information, okay? No one is going to, to, to bother you. We've removed all barriers for you. The lights are even going to be down on this stage, okay? You won't even be able to tell who's walking through up here. If you walk through this red door and you would like to pray with someone, you would like to ask questions, there'll be people available. But I'm just going to offer you to this moment. Greater things have happened on this day. Would you all stand with me? And I'm going to pray for us. And then I want you to respond as God leads you. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends in this place. And I want to thank you on this Resurrection Sunday for the power that is toward us. And Lord, if there is a a child, there is an adult, there is a teenager that needs to walk through one of these doors, I pray that you'd give them the courage to do so and they'd begin to prayerfully acknowledge that they need your power toward them in a whole new way. And on this Easter and April would mark a new day and a new journey for them. We thank you for the cross, but more importantly, we thank you, Lord, for the vault that is empty. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for coming to Easter. You're dismissed. You can come forward now.